Alexa, what time is it? The time is 6.33 p.m. Yeah, oh, that well, shocking. sorry about that, everyone. You definitely don't get that at the BBC. Um, we are running late because we had some slight technical issues between Zoom and that being shared to Facebook Live. So, um, welcome. You're listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, that was a bit embarrassing. Um, so in a moment, probably quicker than um, than we thought, um, Steve Pitt, Deputy Leader of Portsmouth City Council, will be joining us. Um, Indeed. But here we are on, we're not even sure what week it is anymore, but what week is it? Uh, week three for you, week four for me of lockdown. Uh, it's our third lockdown show in a in a row. So, uh, and uh, another guest, which is lovely. Um, so apologies to those folk who have been waiting avidly for the uh for the show to start so um how's your week been simon um it's it's not been too bad it's been kind of very trying to do various things online various facebook meetings various emails interspersed with occasional um shopping trips and less than daily walks um other than that it's kind of it's been all right i've I've, like the fact that i can leave my windows open now it's not cold enough to need to shut nope. them. I like, I like yeah, the, it's a good thing. I like, I like the bit of fresh air, the bit of sunshine. How's your week been? Well, we'd better give a shout out to one of our regular listeners, uh, Nicola Morris, who had a significant birthday on Friday. Um, mm, yes. and we celebrated via the via the uh, via the Zoom chat room with a, an international cast yes. of uh, of relatives being pulled in from all over the all over the uh, world and. That one went slightly smoother than this. <laughs> There's no accounting. Yeah, cons- yeah considering, considering yeah. that had like, what, 10 people from uh, two different continents. Yep. Um, you know, some, yeah, no, some of Australia, no less. Very nicely. Bit of a trying weekend in that um, my uh, my guide dog has decided that he's going to go full free willy. And uh, so, uh, yeah, with, and uh, God bless the good people of the Highbury Estate who uh, twice over the weekend have recaptured him for me um and uh we have managed to retrieve him whilst he as a retriever has gone looking for people to play with on the other side of the street so um yes rather trying times we've now had to uh, stick a wheelie bin in front of the gate so that he can't clear it and head off into the wild blue yonder i guess even guide dogs go stir crazy uh well yes but um the good folks of highbury um pointed out where he was which was um which was nice. So glad that he's back safe and sound. Um, and um, yeah, well, that's a that was a interesting one. So he, even 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 Millsy's <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, even Millsy's finding the lockdown difficult. Then oh, don't tell me I've lost you. No, sorry, sorry. I was just um, I was just picking up a a, a, a mail there from a listener. So uh, so uh, yes, um, no, and again we've we you know I can't. I'm working him around the estate, and we're taking him on more free runs than he would usually have. But I think that the challenge is that you know for a working dog like him, he likes to go places and meet people. So you know even though I've got a number of routes now around the estate so that he can keep his skills up, it, it means we don't get the sort of regular trips to the shops and the cafes. And the gym where you know where he can then relax and people make a fuss of him so i think he was just looking for new people to play with um indeed and well i'm well he 
you know, despite his little adventure. Yeah, no, you'll probably see a tail jogging past because he, he's also loving the warmer weather and out there. So okay. in the world of, I don't, I'm not sure whether there is a world of politics at the moment, but in the world itself, it was uh, good to see Boris Johnson out of hospital today. Mm-hmm. Yes, good to, good to see him, him, well, not quite fit and well, but definitely out of um out of the woods and recuperating at home which is uh which is good to see um i don't know how rough he looked but to a man that lives in an audible world he sounded pretty whacked um i i to be fair i've only actually listened to um to his remarks i haven't actually watched um watched the footage of him so um it's um yeah well i the, the trouble is, is on one hand, you've got half the country baying for him to be back at his job because he's the prime minister and he's you know supposed to be leading this thing, and then on the other hand, um, there's also the, always the, the there's also the well he's meant to be listening to medical advice, and if medical advice is that actually he stays home and recuperate, which which is it which is the, is, is it that he's meant to do? Um, yeah. The, and the truth is that he isn't personally organising all of this, is he? So. No, no. And I think there is an element of, you know, ultimately, it'll be somewhere in between. Won't it? it won't take as much time as he should do. Um, he will probably take less than he should do. But, it, it, you know, just trying to race back on, on Monday is not going to be the right thing to do, medium or long term for anybody. And, and to be fair, you know, and again, I can get into speculation here, but the data kind of speaks for itself. At some point next week, I would guess around Thursday or Friday, the government's going to announce an extension to the lockdown. Um, and that is, you know, people will say, well, that's a decision that needs to be made by the prime minister. The data shows that we're not over the over the hill yet. So, you know, I don't think they want to announce it too soon because let's face it, I don't think anybody's enjoying this really. So to break that news is going to be greeted with... So, um, yeah, I think that's probably the... Well, I don't, the, think, the, I don't think in reality that's going to come as a surprise to anybody. No, um, no. And, you know, at the end of the day, even so, he's making that call or making that announcement on the basis of um, of what the scientists are telling him. And just, you know, just from my cursory understanding of the stats, I don't, you know, it's, it certainly looks like we're, you know, we, we can't be in a place where, um, where we need to start... Um, returning to returning to normal because we've, we've got to allow the lockdown to work and it is it, you know it yeah it's it's and it's interesting you've got the three you've got the three measures haven't you? you've got the sort of new cases the admissions and then unfortunately the deaths and you can see that the first one is starting to slow down and level out um and again you're starting to see a drop in london which was ahead of the curve um and some of the sort of further flung parts of the uk that's still on the increase so it, it is fairly clear that we are not there yet and then there will be a lag for the other two measures to start dropping as well so uh, you know again it, it people want definites don't they and i think in this time of uncertainty you know it's that well how many more weeks is this going to last not sure i could speculate but i'm not an expert and i think there's been too many yeah. online folk too, well, speculating too, on everything too many armchair epidemiologists um for my liking um i'm not so i'm going to defer to the people that know what they're doing um yep. and um you know at the end of the day what we're being asked to do is is definitely not unreasonable there are lots of people that um that might well be struggling for one reason or another and there are lots of things to um to help them and there are things that what i what i'm 
heartened by is is how our communities um, come together, and in yep. all this kind of like news of doom and gloom, um, there was a was it was it this week or do, oh, I can't even remember now whether I mentioned it last week that Google announced that Portsmouth was leading, was showing because using Portsmouth anonymized location data, it showed that people the drop in people taking journeys was um was actually really really great in portsmouth i forget i forget the actual number yeah um no, it was so- very very significant and and again you know you you'll you'll notice yourself when you're out and about walking the estate you know it, it's there are fewer cars about you don't hear you know i think it was last there was one evening in the week where i took a stroll at about six o'clock and paralleled the motorway just round by you and you could hear individual cars coming past Whereas usually that time on a Sunday evening, it is just, or that time of an evening, it is just a continuous roar. So you can um, you can definitely tell that there is a there's a change in the traffic dynamic out there. Yeah, I I went on my uh, on my walk today, and walked across the what I call the Blue Bridge, but I don't know what everyone else calls it. It's the footbridge that goes between um, the bottom of Perone Close. Um, and Tudor, sorry, the top of Perone Close and the bottom of uh, Tudor Crescent goes across the a27 that'll be the blue bridge then yeah the blue bridge oh, that's what yeah. i call it i don't know what everyone else calls it but they might call it something different but right people call it the blue bridge nonetheless anyway so i even though it's no longer blue to be fair is it not no it's it's really faded away from being blue anyway that's not oh. the point so um i took some quite nice snaps of the motorway either you know either side of either side of the bridge and there was literally two vehicles on on one side two vehicles on the on the other side um so it was um, it, it it was quite interesting to see because that was actually less traffic than I saw in other parts of the week. So um, I guess it being Easter Sunday with um, large stores being shut as well, that's also removing a reason for people to travel as well. So um, yeah, um, but and aside from all of that, because it's very easy to get caught up in Facebook about this kind of almost neo-McCarthyism, I'm going to call it, um, of... Um, you know, policing everybody else, you know, policing other people's social distancing or policing other people's, you know, whether they're following the rules or, or properly or not. It's very easy to get drawn into that and to yep. focus on, because they are really, really visible, the people that aren't following the rules. And there are people that aren't following the rules, but they are an incredibly small minority. And Google's data says that actually the vast majority of people are doing what they need to do. And that's Portsmouth doing what it needs to do to actually help um, help do this thing. I have Steve pinging me. Yeah, there's all to... sorts of pings and pongs going on in the yeah, background. I um, wonder whether that was sat... poor Steve Pitt who was in and you had left him on mute. Yeah, I'd, no, I'd, I'd left him in the waiting room while I was um, vacillating. So I'm going to unmute him. Steve, sorry about that. You, you are you are in the room and you are, you are live on the Pompey Politics podcast. Welcome, well, Steve. Hello, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm resplendent, sir. How about yourself? Not too bad, thanks. So we we'd just been talking about um, other than um, Ian's guide dog going for a bit of a wander, um, breaking <laughs> lockdown. Um, we'd just been talking about um, how quiet it's actually been today, um, and actually the there was that report came out from Google, wasn't there, that said that Portsmouth has done really well in actually following the guidelines from a point of view of measuring how the journeys that are being taken in the city. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's probably quite easy to get caught up in the, 
you know the the minority of people that aren't following but actually the the bigger story and the better story is that by and large most people are doing what they need to do indeed uh, apologies for the background noise that's my dog who's just returned from his evening walk um <laughs> Uh, Marvellous. Yeah. Mine's, mine's just enjoying his tea, so there's all sorts of uh, noises. So h how's your last three weeks been, Steve? Um, yeah, interesting, I think is probably uh, an understatement. Um, you know, going back to what Simon was just saying, the um, it's very difficult because there's an awful lot of people saying online, uh, yes, you're saying that Portsmouth's doing well, but we've just seen this and we've just seen that. We've seen somebody do this and we've seen somebody do that. Of course, all of that's true, but you have to put it into an overall perspective. And that is that compared to other cities and the feedback we're getting from the police, the community wardens, the stuff we're hearing about regionally and the problems people are having elsewhere, Portsmouth is overall doing an outstanding job of complying with the rules. You are never going to get 100 people, 100% of people to do what exactly what you want in a, in a modern democracy like Britain. But the overwhelming majority are, and that's the important bit. So it's been an interesting ride for the last three weeks in adjusting to a, a new normal. But I guess the point is we're all doing that. We just need to be patient with each other. Yeah, and I guess if uh, if you think about uh, uh, an Easter Sunday with the weather as it is, you know, what, what would the common and the seafront have looked like yeah. today in under normal circumstances? Exactly. So you're, you're looking at... An, a 95% plus reduction in footfall, and that's pretty incredible. Uh, the, the overwhelming majority of people are doing exactly what they've been asked to do. So I keep saying to people who keep tagging me online about, oh, we've just seen somebody do this, chill out, worry about yourself, look after yourself, look after your family and your neighbours and your friends, those people who matter to you. You are not going to, nor are the police going to be able to, deal with every single fool who doesn't comply with the regulations. But the most important thing is you look after yourselves. And that's great, great to hear there, Steve. And so in terms of, of, of the work at the council, what's been your biggest challenge over the last two, three weeks? You know, give, give, a, give some insight into the, the kind of fun you've been having to try and uh, um, get everything mobilised and moving. Of course, for us, uh, the council switched to the, what's called business critical, uh, which means that a whole load of services shut down. All the stuff that doesn't need to be happening um, stops happening uh, for a period of time to allow us to divert staff onto those critical services, adult social care, children's social care, sorting out stuff around education, etc. Um, all, the, all the really important day-to-day -day stuff that has to happen during a pandemic situation. Um, so... The most important thing in that scenario was getting those workers who needed to be at home, needed to be shielding, needed to be self-isolating away from council offices and able to work remotely. That was a big task. Uh, a lot of those people didn't ever need to work from home, so now they're having to. So the, the first job for us was to get everything reorganised so the council could still function. And has that been reasonably successful? Yes. I mean, it wasn't without its teething problems. Um, I suspect every single local authority and you know, definitely the government uh, has had their issues. Um, but from day one, everybody was uh, really committed to making it work, to working together, services helping each other out um, and trying to make sure that we were um, working together as closely as possible, not just within the council, but with our partner organisations. Um, and I, I think we, we are now in that 
state of new normal um, where everybody is backing each other up. And the, I keep saying it's the council working with the voluntary and community sector, with the clinical commissioning group in the NHS, with the police, the football club and the whole community to make this work in really difficult circumstances for Portsmouth. Party politics has gone out the window. Everybody is working together to make sure that we keep Portsmouth as safe as we possibly can. And, and that's really good to see. Um, you've, you've also chosen this to be a time to set yourself a personal challenge that you might wish to, that you might come to regret. Do you want to, do you want to let, yeah, let us know what that is? And this, I, this is a question that I, comes from Tracy McClure. Yeah, I gave up smoking three weeks ago today, which is just after lockdown started. Um, and I haven't had a cigarette since. I am using a vape, but not that much. Um, and uh, I've been coping quite well. I decided that if I could do it now, I, then I definitely would not go back to smoking once all this was over because the stress levels during the points of parts of this have been through the roof. So that's proven to me that I don't need cigarettes. So if anybody uh, else is thinking about giving it up, do it. Then now's the time. No, Steve, that's a that's a great achievement. And uh, it's interesting you talked about um, you, you talked about so so many different organisations coming together there. Um, one of my observations about this is that you know so so many people and organisations have have just kicked into gear and you know have given it best endeavours. You know, people doing their absolute best, but there does still appear to be a small minority who are more comfortable sat on the sidelines, pointing out where potentially you you as a councillor or as the you know deputy leader of the council where you've missed a bit. Have you have you had to put up with much of that? Uh not too much but i just tune it out um yeah. you know we've got to get on with the job at hand um for me there was there was four areas that had to be top priority the first one was that with all the panic buying that was going on in the early stages a lot of people would normally buy extras to donate to food banks and unfortunately as soon as the item limit got put on they couldn't buy those extra items anymore and all our food banks are about to fall over so for me get out there, find food supplies. Our procurement team have been amazing, buying in the food. The Hive have been working with all the supermarkets to leverage stuff in to make sure we had a regular food supply. Linked to that, making sure we got people's prescriptions out there so that people weren't waiting on drugs. Getting yeah. the homeless community into a hotel was the second priority, had to happen. Getting our IT as a council sorted out so that we could support the hive and the voluntary sector and also make sure that we were operating efficiently and then dealing with the PPE situation. So those four things had to happen. And yes, there's been a few people sniping from, from the sidelines, but I'd say the overwhelming majority of people who could make a positive difference in the city are doing so and that's been an amazing thing to see that's excellent to hear yeah it's it's good to see that in because you know we went from a, a time where you were on a run down towards a local election where now that kind of suspension of of normal is, is completely um has completely changed in the sense of um, you've now got cross-party working. You've now got um, different arms of the of the council working together, and and with um, with other voluntary organisations as well. Is that is, does that is that a, a good thing to see? Does it give you hope for what sorts of things are possible in future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always that perception on the because of social media that um, everyone in Portsmouth on the political scenes at war with each other all the time. Yeah. Um, but actually, we are able to away from the um, 
a pantomime of full council. Most of the work happens on committees and in briefings and stuff. Um, we all generally get on well okay. There's always personality clashes. You're putting 42 people together who have literally nothing in common apart from their own egos generally. Um, <laughs> so that's the, that's the nature of politics writ large that you know, that's going to cause problems. But I have to say, you know, Councillor Jeanette Smith, Councillor uh, Claire Udy from the uh, Triple P's, uh, Councillor Donna Jones has been in contact with me regularly and been incredibly supportive. We have the all-councillor call on a Friday so that all the councillors get briefed on what's going on. They get the opportunity to ask questions. Um, and on top of that, there's a group leaders and deputy leaders briefing on a Wednesday afternoon. So we are all in communication with each other all the time. Um, everybody's got an opportunity to pick up the phone at any time. Every week I'll say the same thing. Donna, Stephen, Claire, if you want me, pick up the phone. If you want to ask what's going on about anything, pick up the phone, drop an email. Uh, we, it's important that we all communicate with each other and so far so good and I, I guess so far Steve what, what have you been most proud of in terms of you know the, the achievements moving so quickly I think the way that Portsmouth City Council like any public sector organisation is very much a process driven organisation so everything has to be done in the same same way each time to ensure that we follow, we're diligent in following the right processes, the right procedures, that financial rules are adhered to, all that stuff. Working out how to do that <laughs> and still maintain some degree of um, accountability in order to make sure that everything can be reported back at the end of this, whilst being able to be responsive in the way that I'm used to being responsive running a business. In other words, if I say this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, and not somebody saying, yeah, but we normally have to do these 20 things before it happens and kicking those 20 things out of the way and saying, just do it and we'll worry about it in a minute. Um, yep. And then everybody rushing around to make sure, yes, we have ticked all the boxes we need to tick in terms of accountability, but we've got on and done it and not waited six weeks to write a report and have a meeting um, is, has been invaluable. And as long as we're briefing all the opposition members and everybody's aware of what's going on and everything can be reported, then we're making sure that we're doing all of that. The chief executive's got Section 58 powers to enact stuff with the agreement of members because it was really important that we just got on and did stuff yep. and not tied ourselves up in knots. And uh, it's an interesting one, Steve, because I've seen it in my own organisation, you know, about what the new normal might be, because, mm -hmm. you know, we've done stuff in days, which we wouldn't have got done in months, you know, reports yeah. would have been written and circulated and, you know, again, then they would have been rewritten and recirculated as somebody, you know, perhaps didn't like the font you were using or, you know, yeah. that, that kind of real, oh, well, perhaps that bit needs to be strengthened up a bit, whereas the sort of mentality of, you know, the house is on fire let's just try and put the fire out and then we'll worry about everything yeah. else afterwards exactly and when you're dealing with such an enormous change in the way you're operating you just have to be prepared to think differently and do things differently and I think on the whole everybody sort of they I've used the analogy a couple of times everybody just needed a bit of a shove a little bit of a shove just to start thinking a bit differently but once they did, I mean, the way our procurement team has responded around um, the PPE situation and also the um, the food purchasing, for example, has been absolutely outstanding. We've got a number of council officers who were seconded over to work with the Hive who are doing incredible work. You know, there's, there's people within the Hive structure in the voluntary and community sector who are 
literally best in class operations nationally. I was told yesterday about a situation in Liverpool where a vulnerable person, in order to get food, the only option available to them was to get a taxi and phone the supermarket and plead with them to put the to do a click and collect and the taxi to go and pick it up. We're a world away from that in Portsmouth, where we've got a whole army of volunteers out there working directly with the supermarkets, working with us with the supply chain that we set up, getting those food parcels out, making sure that anybody who contacts us, if they need food, they get it. If they need um, top-ups on the government parcels, if they're in that particular group, because, of course, yep. the government didn't think these people might have pets, like you and I have, Ian, you know, and Simon yep. has a cat as well. You know, you get your food parcel, you're not allowed to go out the house. Where do you get cat food and dog food from? Because by definition, by getting the parcel, you've got no other support. Things like that. And it's understandable that those things fall through the net. But we've been able to pick up on that locally in Portsmouth and deal with it. Getting prescriptions out regularly to people. Cooking hot meals for those people who need it. Getting hot food to the homeless uh, in that we've had to um, put in the hotel every evening and making sure everybody's fed. The way all that's been pulled together, Portsmouth should be so proud of how they've managed to achieve that in such a short space of time and, and all still be getting on with each other. And again, they, they, those are the stories, aren't they? Because, you know, again, in my own work, I know that we, we've we've been, you know, lobbying government because blind and visually impaired people aren't considered to be highly vulnerable. So we've had a lot of issues that we've had to deal with, um, you know, which where we've had to refer people back to the voluntary sectors simply because, you know, that they weren't considered to be, you know, a, a vulnerable sector, even though, you know, to get around the supermarket and do your shopping, you usually go arm in arm with one of the staff who will happily yeah. select stuff off the um, off the shelves for you. So no, it's, it's great to see that that network has kicked in. Yeah, no, it's been phenomenal. Do you, do you think this this situation is um, uh, around? Because, funny enough, you know, dealing with processes is is um, is a bit of my background as well. And it is that is that teaching us some th things that are going to be useful when we're not in this sort of situation? Because it, it amazes me how what what organisations can get done when there's an when when there's an urgency communicated and when everybody's singing on the same hymn sheet and and rowing in the same direction. What, what do you what, what do you think that will be do you think that will be useful once once we're stood down from the, the from the covid situation i think that the relationship that the council's now developing and um to some extent has already established with the hive must not be allowed to go away after this is over understanding the enormous value of the voluntary community sector and what they do amazing work they do every single day in this city and some of the outstanding individuals that are part of that and how they've uh, how we've had council officers go to work with the hive and just slot straight in and get on with it and you know not think about the fact that they're now doing a completely different job than the one that they're normally paid to do and just getting their head down and making things happen that's something we need to bottle and keep because the hive process was supposed to be an evolutionary process for the city council to gradually work out a new relationship with a voluntary community sector. Well, that's happened at 100 miles an hour. Um, and if there's any benefit that comes out of this, making sure that we absolutely passionately protect that afterwards must be something we do. Good to see. Excellent. 
a slightly controversial um, topic, Steve, and you touched on it yourself. We've seen a lot in the media this week about the availability of PPE. And, yeah. you know, despite some enormous numbers being quoted, I think, you know, on Saturday, it was quoted as something like 720 million items. Um, it, it appeared that, you know, understandably, there were there were still some um, some gaps in the process. How, how has it been in Portsmouth? Um, we almost had a disaster on our hands. We were told the delivery would be here on Monday. Uh, then we were told it would be here on Tuesday. And then we were told it would be here on Wednesday. And then it finally arrived on Thursday with some of it missing. And we had to chase that to get it here with Thursday afternoon. Um, I have to say, um, the leader of the council was um, chasing hard. Penny Morden MP was chasing hard. We worked very closely with her office over this. You know, she put some real pressure on at the last minute. So thanks, Penny, for that. Um, but it was, you know, it was that tight that if we hadn't got that delivery on Thursday, we would have been in very big difficulties this weekend. And it's not a case of blaming anybody because nope. this is an unprecedented, unprecedented situation. But nevertheless, we do need to send a message back to the government to say you have to do better. You know, we're, we're not asking you to do the impossible, but you have to do better because if you don't, then the consequences of that will be very, very serious. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing, get, getting the stuff out there, making it happen. But you have to find ways to speed this process up because this is not about politics. If I was in a business situation where I was saying, if I don't get this delivery today, then my business is going to collapse then I would expect somebody to, at the other end of the supply chain, if they wanted me to stay on friendly terms with them, to be responding to that really effectively and making that happen. And at times this last week, there hasn't been that that sense of urgency on the other end of the phone. I think it's changing, but yep. that very much remains to be seen. We're, we're fine for all the needs we have for this weekend and into next week. But if the supply chain grinds to a halt again, then we'll be back in the same situation in a few days' time. And both Gerald and I have been adamant on the daily gold calls. We cannot accept that we would send any city council employee nor any um, care home, uh, care sector organisation, if they're private or otherwise, into environments in the wrong with the wrong uh, protection. No, so we have to, have to make sure it happens. And actually, you know, to hell with politics, this is about a business reality that in order for us to operate business critical for the council, we need the resources to do it. And it's as simple as that. So I don't, I, it matters not to me who is running the country right now, what colour they are. Yeah. Uh, if, it, if it was, a, a, you know, if in some miraculous situation, it was my lot involved again, I'd be saying exactly the same thing. You are getting it not quite right. You need to get it right. We cannot have people not having the right equipment. Obviously, I, think... I can only think from a council perspective, the NHS side of things, yep. the hospitals are all supplied direct. So that's a different argument for them, which I also completely understand. No, absolutely, Stephen. I think it's an interesting point because, you know, for me, with some of these with some of these questions that they absolutely have to be flagged when they're not working. And, and it's that balance of, you know, this isn't about this isn't about politics. It's about you. You know, you have a duty of care to your employees to keep them safe and protect them. And, you know, you are reliant on a supply chain that's got to deliver that equipment at the right time and I think you know it is an element of you know I spent 
God, more years than I care to remember working in supply chain. And, and you know, when you stress a system like this one's been stressed over the last two weeks, there are going to be some slips and mistakes, but you can't have the situation where you stock out. It's just, you know, that that is, that is a non-negotiable. No, and obviously, apart from the government side of things, about three weeks ago, um, a local business owner who deals with um, sort of PPE products uh, contacted me and said, if the council's not already um, playing hardball over getting equipment, you need to do so straight away. Because what he was seeing at that point was that, that their supply chains were drying up. And that was before it would have been evident to the public sector, particularly, especially councils, government would have been aware, but not at our level. Um, so, you know, I, I thank, I still thank him now for that intervention because I went straight to procurement and said, I don't care what you've got to do to get this stuff. Forget all the normal supply routes, go and trace people and start buying and start getting orders in because it is going to take longer than we're being told to come through and we will need it. So the, the delivery we had from government was separate to that. But, you know, there's some concerns about, well, you know, you can't be stockpiling. That can't happen. Uh, we are in a multi-authority response. So if we are lucky enough to secure extra stuff that we don't have an immediate need for, the other local authorities are all in contact with each other so we can pass stuff off to support each other. But it was really important that we didn't just sit and wait for government to deliver, that we went out and uh, became masters of our own destiny. And again, the procurement officers who've been working on that have been fantastic. And that's, I mean, that, that that's a really interesting, very specific kind of situation that's occurred um, by your contact in, in Portsmouth. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of happens to other authorities in, in the country that, that haven't got that sort of contact or haven't got, you know, haven't been given that sort of insight or haven't got the people chasing uh, the resource to be chasing in the way that um, you know you've described it yourself that Gerald has and that the officers in the council have been doing. What what, what happens to them? I don't know. Um, I would assume that um, all procurement teams uh, in when it, whichever lead authority deals with that would have been on the case. They'd probably have all found similar situations to us. Um, that the, what they were being told was there just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, you know. The, the, Companies were allowing orders to be placed and saying one week's lead time, but we knew through backdoor intel that that was fiction and that we were looking at a minimum of two to three weeks. And in some cases, the orders wouldn't apply or arrive at all. We had a very similar situation actually with IT. China were telling us that 50 laptops that we'd ordered at the start of the crisis were on their way. I made a couple of phone calls and ascertained that was nonsense. They weren't on their way at all. Um, so we then did a complete U-turn and started sourcing locally. And again, it was a local company that stepped in and got us everything that we needed within three working days. And it was just phenomenal. So, you know, it's not what well, I think what we've all learned as part of this is don't believe anything you're being told. Keep pursuing it until you're absolutely sure that the messages that you're getting are correct. So the team, the core team on PPE at the council, who were basically operating like a quarter master, master store, um, and we're doing stuff for the GPs as well. They've asked us to uh, manage their stock as well. You know, they've been very, very proactive. And I guess it all will all depend on the, the individual officers and, uh, and leadership teams within councils around the country as to how 
how they have responded and how they'll cope and that'll all come out in the wash but I'm very very proud of how people have responded here and I can't speak highly enough of a range of people who deserve a huge huge thank you at the end of this it's interesting to see actually because because in our in our global supply chains we're, we're used to you know that those um you know one end of the supply chain being very very distant geographically to the other one and you're not necessarily having a huge amount of control about all of the pinch points and, and problems that can occur on the way um but it's really interesting to hear about the number of local businesses that are kind of stepping in and and you know do you think that kind of teaches us something about there is maybe perhaps you know not as much of a benefit to sourcing from somewhere else even if that saves you you know five percent but actually sourcing to someone that you can go and you know whether you can't go and visit them now but you know someone that's actually on your doorstep that, that you know that has a connection that maybe has a value that it isn't yeah i mean the pu- public sector has to be driven by um price point because yeah. of the huge pressures on our budgets but i think there's also a lesson to learn about doing where possible supporting the, the, the local companies mm-hmm. because doing that means that when something like this happens or you know something dramatic takes place they've got your back yep. whereas you know, a big national they've got thousands of clients Portsmouth's no more important to them than Glasgow or Belfast you know that we are just another name on the books but to a local company where you got a, the guy who was helping us he lives here his employees live here he said to me you don't have to have this stuff if you don't want it that I've got I can sell it to Hampshire but I live in Portsmouth um, and I want to, you know, I want Portsmouth to have that benefit. And, you know, that kind of response has been just amazing. We've had, I had a hotel phone me yesterday and say, look, we've looked at it we, and uh, we want to do something because, you know, we just feel like we're in limbo. We, if we cook a hot, 100 hot meals three nights a week, is there a use for that? You know, that that's mm. amazing support. I have to mention in particular Pompeian Community and Victoria's Festival because they've been doing a lot of the actual logis- logistics stuff. And also the Hampshire Search and Rescues uh, got stepped in. Again, that was, that one was through Penny to um, to get the PPE out. And these organisations have not hesitated to dive in and say, you know, what do you need? What can we do? How can we help? Um, and I've had a whole string of offers. Somebody phoned me up the other day saying, I've got 180 eggs and 10 kilos of rice. Where do you want me to deliver it? I get those calls every day and, you know, sending them over to the hive. They're making brilliant use of it. We had loads of Easter eggs donated to go out in food parcels where there's kids in the household. Um, we had um, Southie Bathing Hut stepped in and gave us some stuff the other day. Li- dozens and dozens of local businesses have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is a it, it has been you know very heartwarming to see that you know communities come together and I, I think it's an interesting point we touch on there with uh, that you know I, I guess as our thoughts turn to yeah, there's been quite a lot of discussion online about the new normal and you know what will the world look like after COVID-19 and I think there's there are so many angles to look at that from you know we, we've talked about uh, the climate emergency in in Portsmouth and and we seem to have solved that by you know not letting people travel which you know which which works to an, but it's that you know I, I wonder what your thoughts are Steve in terms of you know when the restrictions start to get li- lifted do you think you know it, it, it's going to be uh, and then I woke up and it was all a dream and we go back to the way we did things before no um and I don't think, and the reason I think that is, I think I don't think that this is going to end in an abrupt way. 
It's not going to be that somebody suddenly decides that's it, let's go back to normal. Social distancing is going to continue for quite a considerable period of time. Um, you know, you, me and Simon are very successfully having a discussion on uh, in this medium tonight instead of being in a room together. So why not keep doing things like that? Um, you know, even as a local political group, we've had discussions about why on earth do we all drive from all over the city to get together for group meetings? We don't need to do that. We've, we've been having perfectly decent ones on, on using Zoom. Um, Council's actually rolling out Microsoft Teams at the moment, and we'll be doing a lot, a lot more through that as uh, over the coming months. You know, if people stop having unnecessary journeys, I was talking to a quite a high-level lawyer uh, the other day uh, who reckons his company saved thirty-seven thousand pounds on travel in the last month and had no noticeable difference in the quality of the discussions that it's been having. Um, wow. So actually. <laughs> Why on earth would you be getting those business flights, wearing people out, flying them all over Europe to go and have conversations they can have just like this? Mm. Yeah, I think it's an interesting balance, Steve, because I, I've been, um, my own personal circumstances, I've been working from home now for about the last 15, 16 months. And you know, a lot. I, I think as having traditionally worked in a factory, I always thought, you know, working from home, yeah, so... That's a Skyver's charter, isn't it? It's that. Yeah, but I, I think the, the interesting balance with the, and, and I think this is where we, we'll, we'll have to find a, a medium, is that the, the differential between work and home life becomes very blurred when you do it regularly. And I think it can also be, you know, very socially isolating. So, you know, it's been weird the last couple of weeks because everybody's been in my office who currently live with me. But before that, you know, the house goes quiet at, about eight o'clock as everybody else heads off to work and college and then stays quiet till six o'clock that evening when everybody gets back again. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's one of the things I found with it is that, you know, I had to go out, I had to force myself to go out at lunchtime because the danger is you step up from your monitor, you stretch, you go and get your sandwich from the fridge. And after seven minutes of bargain hunt, you, you lose the will to live and go back to the and start all over again. So I, I think there will have to be, I think we'll have to put some new stuff in as well as, you know, just stopping people from, from commuting to their places of work. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, cause obviously I'm uh, very heavily invested in our local cultural creative community. Some of the stuff that those guys have been doing, there was a, uh, a new a virtual art exhibition that was launched today. Uh, we've had, um, from the council side of things, uh, officer called James Daly, who's very well versed in all things D-Day, um, did a, a Q&A on Facebook Live uh, last Friday, and it's now going to be a weekly thing, I understand. I checked to see how many people have looked at it. It had 675 views. So I think there's there's different things you can do to, to break up the monotony of the day. But, you know, I used to work from home as well, Ian, and I, I do know what you're saying. And I think when, when we see enough of an easing that people can go out two or three times a day and just still keep socially distant but get a bit more fresh air walk the dog and then just maybe go out and get some you time uh collect a coffee from a takeaway as long as you're a couple of meters apart while you're queuing up and sit on the beach and just stare at the, the ocean for an hour when we can get back to that situation from where we are now which will still be very different but more slightly more relaxed uh, i think it'll be easier for people um but certainly i've realized you know i've I've, I've been mapping my time. I usually now start two days a week. I start at nine in the morning. The, the other days it's 10. Uh, we've got our gold call with all the senior leads from the council on it. Um, I then have to write that up and make sure that that goes to the rest of the cabinet. Um, 
and then usually I'm in meetings or conference calls through to five, six o'clock in the evening with probably a little short break for lunch. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm not bored. I'm certainly <laughs> not bored. Um, and we'll just, you know, we'll see what that looks like um, after this is all over. But I definitely think people are going to, a lot of people will lead large chunks of their life very differently than how they have done in the past. It'll, it'll be good to see, won't it, to see what what the future that's mapped out um, looks like. And I, I think I think Ian, you're, you, I mean, you, you've spoken about it before, but it, there's a, there's a different um, approach physically and mentally to to working from home. So we kind of need to, you know, make sure those kind of things are different. But just actually getting even just getting businesses to realise that people sat in a car for an hour and a half to have a forty five hours meeting. Mm. it's just not yeah. a useful um way to spend time um uh, of anybody so you know just just kind of allowing them to see what is possible um maybe kind of pushes past their their habits um and their comfort levels a bit to just to just kind of try, I try think, something new I, I think it's a good point simon i think a lot of it's about trust you know, the employer employee relationship, the trust is that if, you know, I can't see that you're at your desk, I know you are at your desk. Um, so I think that 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 will have changed. And I think there, you know, again, it's going to have to be, we'll have to see how it plays out over time, because, you know, the, the other, and it's that double edged sword, isn't it, which is that, you know, you, you spoke about, you know, Steve, you mentioned the lawyer there who saved in travel costs. You know, I, I can see employers who will say, well, actually, why am I paying for, you know, offices in the centre of Portsmouth um, when I can actually have, you know, my, my teams working virtually from home? Um, and so, yeah, we, we'll, we will have, you know, because there's an element of whilst that's great for the pollution, it, it's not so great for the office rental in Portsmouth and the little sandwich shop around the corner that, that you know, covers for those people and all those little businesses. And, um, you yeah, know, we, we will have to see what that new normal looks like. Yeah, I get that. But there's also, you know, if, if I was working from home all the time, then the sandwich shop that I might go to in the town centre might now be the sandwich shop I go to at lunchtime at the end of my own road. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we see those suburban smaller shopping centres um, come back up again and grow in strength. And we see the city centre repurposed for other uses. I think the, the, the idea that we'd, that everyone would go digital uh, is, is you know, not likely. Mm-hmm. Um, we, For example, with local government, there's a, there's a one-year suspension in us having physical meetings. There is a huge value in a group of people being in the room mm-hmm. and looking at each other in the white of the whites of their eyes and seeing you know, feeling the reactions and understanding what people are saying and those nuances, etc. So there's still going to be a large element of it. But I think we had got to the point where it was almost, it was so convenient to just go and jump on a plane and fly 50 minutes somewhere and then go and stay in a hotel and go to a meeting and then fly home again. The convenience of all of that had got to a point with the cost being so low that nobody was actually stopping to say, but is it necessary Yep. Um, and so I think it will cause people to review. Um, but there's plenty of um, situations out there with, you know, business confidential stuff and um, for all the planners, they couldn't work from home all the time. They need access to, you know, big, heck, chunky programs that eat loads of memory and planning yeah. that print off giant plans. And so it's not it's not going to change completely. But I think a big chunk of things will shift. 
yeah and i think i, I think it's that journey's been going on you know i remember um probably 15 years ago now i, I did a day trip to johannesburg um which what? isn't one that i care to repeat it what? was a 12 12 hour flight an overnight stay a two-hour meeting flew home again overnight was back in the office wednesday morning and you you look at that now through the lens of climate change and just shake your head yeah. and think yeah absolute madness indeed that, that's that, that's crazy um that yeah you wouldn't do that now would you no 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 i, I the, the idea of a day trip to leamington spa is as, is as far as i'm prepared to to go in terms of uh, those kind of journeys now but uh so i guess steve looking ahead for the next couple of weeks what what what, what are the things that are are going to keep keep prodding at you and uh, and are going to keep you busy I think it's the, the, the PPE issue is the big one. We need to make sure that we have got steady and reliable supplies coming through. Um, so that's going to be um, a priority. We also do need to have our a virtual planning meeting. And now that we've got the rules to do that planning committee meeting, because we've got some applications that we need to um, get through and get decided. Um, and then beyond that, of course, the council was due to have an AGM um, in about four weeks time um, and uh, select a new Lord Mayor. Um, so we need to work out if we are going to do that or, or not. Some authorities have already made a decision to delay it. We haven't yet. Um, so that needs to be sorted through um, and uh, and then work out what uh, other stuff. Once once we start moving from business critical back into uh, sort of what's, what local authorities and government will call the recovery stage, uh, there'll be that transition process. So we're all going to be very keenly watching the figures to see um, how many more people we sadly lose and hopefully uh, the reduction in the infection rate so that we can start to understand where that point might be because when we get to that then the business critical stuff carries on but then we also need to um, start to look at some of the things that will need to happen for the council to return to a more business as usual approach and actually very importantly some of the projects that are coming up that are going to get people employed Yep. Now, we desperately need to make sure that if there's stuff that's going to get builders, plasterers, drivers in a whole raft of skills, electricians, gas fitters back out there uh, and working as quickly as possible, that those self-employed trades uh, are able to do that. Um, so we'll be pushing those things through um, and um, then trying to look at wh where we might stand up again some of the um the things such as we've had to postpone the ve day commemorations so yep. um that that will require a, a look again to see if we can amalgamate that with vj day um so there's a huge huge amount of work to do the, the main thing was that we got through the last three four weeks and got ourselves to a stable situation uh where everybody you know felt we had a good grip on things that kind of happened towards the beginning of this week that's just gone um, and now the PPE is kicking in as well. Hopefully we know where we're going with that. So steady as she goes the next two or three weeks, watch those numbers very closely and then hopefully start to look at where we might get back to normal in at least a few areas as the numbers, fingers crossed and please God, go down. Absolutely. So, Steve, uh, obviously, Simon is a political chum. So I, 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 on behalf of of everybody of of, you know, who holds no politics or different politics, can I just thank you and the rest of your council officers for the Herculean effort that you've put in over the last three weeks and, uh, you know, the great results that that we've seen across the city. And uh, I, I'm sure uh, if we had to pay your overtime bill, we'd be in a spot of bother. 
<laughs> Thanks, Ian. Thanks, no, Simon. Thanks, Steve. Well, that was that was really in, that was really good, really great to hear hear all of the all of the points there, Steve. And it's lots of good news. Well, I think the thing is, Simon, is it you know that lots and lots of stuff has been going on, and I guess it's where we started the podcast is that so many organisations and so many people are, you know, just busting their bottoms to make this happen so you know i think that's where it's also easy just to point out the bit that's been missed and it is you know again uh, uh, the, the patience of the saint is the person who you know you've been turning in 12 13 15 hour days and somebody says oh perhaps you might want to think about this well bless you for that i've had some other things to think about in the last uh, last few hours so uh, no great podcast always lovely to have is that steve's first visit i think it is it is yeah marvelous we, we've had marvelous. we've had gerald we've but we've not had steve before oh splendid well, it's always good to have new folk mm-hmm. so uh i think that probably i the, the, the you will have seen heard the door opening and closing behind me as the barbecue is in full flow yeah, I, I think i've got to get out there I, now and I, uh, i've seen no just su- supervise the finishing off of it before we before we um do come off it's worth mentioning that next week this might not people might not believe this but next week will be our anniversary it'll be our yeah, first first anniversary our first so wow. it will be our pod anniversary so um so i'm sorry I, I, there are no charges for how rubbish the jokes are um, so so as next saturday is our podiversary um we're going to change from doing sunday next week to doing saturday um but what we'd really love to hear from listeners is for them to either contact us by email or on facebook or if they'd want to dial in leave a message or actually come onto the show because um, that's really easy to do with um, the tools that we've been using now. Um, tell us what they've tell us what they've liked, what they most enjoyed about the last year of the podcast, um, and what they'd like to see us do more of in in the time ahead. Um, Unless that's dancing. I don't. Well, I, I think that based on previous evidence, I think either of us dancing or singing is something that nobody, nobody, nobody really wants. Nobody wants to see that nobody absolutely nobody um and you know the um have we we've you know got actually 14 people watching the live stream which is which is actually that is that is fantastic so thank you to everybody who shared it you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast blue and yellow till we die i'm ian tiny morris and our guest has been steve pitt who's gone but not forgotten did you want to say bye, Steve, to the to the audience? Oh, oh, thank oh you he's still there. He's been, he's been oh, Steve, Steve. Um, and I've been Simon Sansbury. <laughs>